Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia, coming to you with your next mental health moment. And today we will be discussing, suddenly the world stopped. October is Sudden Infant Death Awareness Month. It is also Infant Loss Awareness Month. And these are a time of remembrance for families who have lost children either during pregnancy, birth, or in infancy. October 15th is actually recognized as Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. And I don't think we can have a discussion about um, remembrance and loss without also talking about the disparities that women of color experience during pregnancy and childbirth. So I wanna start off by just discussing a few statistics because I think it's important for us to have an anchor um, as we have this discussion. Approximately 700 women die each year related to pregnancy complications. 700 women. Black women, as well as American Indian and Alaskan Native women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. Now, risk factors do increase by age, but they are not related to income and education. So I think it's important for us to also highlight that it doesn't matter how educated you are or how much money you are, if you are a person of color, your risk factors are still higher. 60% or more of pregnancy-related deaths could be prevented. There are countless stories of women of color who express that they had concerns that they communicated to their providers and those concerns were ignored, were not believed or were dealt with later than they should have been. And these are women who live to tell the story. There are countless number of other women who have not. Risk factors can include a lack of access to quality care. And I know we have talked about that before, the importance of everyone being able to have access to the care that they need. Um, other factors include missed or delayed diagnoses, and we have talked about before that often women are dismissed when we express concerns. We are thought to be exaggerating, um, go home, get some rest, um, we'll, we'll see if something happens later. And those early moments are moments that could save either a woman's life or a child's life. Um, there are also uh, those factors such as lack of knowledge of warning signs. So we don't know, we don't know necessarily what we're at risk for. We don't know as, as people who are coming in to have children and then our providers may not also be aware of warning signs. They may not be as familiar. And we're gonna talk later on about why it's important to have a plan in place preventatively for if these things happen, particularly those that are more common um, uh, to women of color. One in four families will experience the death of a child during pregnancy, birth, or infancy. About one pregnancy in 100 at 20 weeks of pregnancy is later affected by stillbirth. And that accounts for 24,000 babies who are born stillborn. That's a staggering statistic. So what are some of the risk factors? We know that high blood pressure, right? That's a culprit, diabetes cardiovascular complications, bleeding complications in which um, babies have to be delivered early. And anytime you deliver a baby early, you know that there are gonna be increased risk factors 
Um, so that could be health complications throughout the early years of that child's development or increased chances for unexpected death in that infancy. Now, there can still be death, and I want to make this very clear. Even when mothers do everything possible, they're not smoking, they're not drinking, they go to those appointments, um, they eat well, they exercise. And oftentimes we look at mothers um, and blame them. Well, what did you do to cause uh, this stillborn? What did you do to cause this miscarriage? What did you do to cause this sudden infant death syndrome? Which is not fair to, to women because oftentimes women are not even sure what happened. They are surprised themselves and they beat themselves up enough. They don't need us trying to comment on what we have no idea about happened. So I don't want you all to believe that there is always a woman um, doing something that could cause these losses. Frequently, these losses, they're not even sure what happened, especially when all of those good factors are in place, the preventative things happen. Um, researchers are unsure exactly what happened and imagine how that affects a family. I think that there's also this myth that if a loss occurs early, um, so miscarriage loss uh, or a loss early on in the pregnancy, that somehow that grief is lessened. Um, well, you don't actually have a baby here, so you know it's not like you had to bury a baby. And I think that is very dismissive of a person's loss. Um, loss is loss, and it is no lessened simply because it was earlier on in the pregnancy as opposed to later on in a child's life. So I wanna debunk that myth here today. So what do people experience after a loss? Um, we know that depression is very high after a loss. There can be a lot of anger. Why me? I did everything right. Why was it my child? There are plenty of women who don't take care of themselves or their bodies during pregnancy um, and they still get a chance to have their children. They get to still have a chance to be mothers. Why am I not able to be a mother? Um, fathers as well. I think a lot of times we often neglect fathers in this process of grieving, but fathers experience loss as well during this time. There are feelings of hopelessness that occur. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the guilt and self-blame. Did I do something? Was there something wrong with me? Um, feeling isolated because I think oftentimes uh, people don't necessarily understand how to talk to someone when they've experienced that loss. And so they avoid the person. They don't want to get them uncomfortable or get them upset because we don't like it when people have uncomfortable emotions they express. And so often a person is left to feel like they have to grieve on their own. That grief could be debilitating for them. Um, and feeling like, well, I have to bear it privately. I can't talk about it because I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. There's other women, maybe I have friends or family members that are pregnant right now. And so I don't want to be the one to bring everyone down. So I eat all that grief uh, and feel like I can't express it. Um, I think for, for men, oftentimes they are not given um, a space to feel like they can grieve, like they should be grieving. Oftentimes the emphasis is placed on the mom uh, and sometimes dads feel left out of that process uh, and, and, and men may not know how to talk to men about that kind of loss. Uh, I definitely recognize there is a negative sense of self-worth. Again, my body betrayed me. Um, is something wrong with me? Did I do something? Um, it, it creates this, um, I think, complicated sense of identity as a woman because oftentimes if you are a woman that wants to have children, 
part of your identity is wrapped up in that sense of being a mother, being able to produce, being able to have offspring, and, and sometimes for fathers as well, being able to have this child, this legacy, um, and then that's taken away. So what does that do for me and my identity, um, you know, and my worth, my sense of self? What happens to it then? There's that anxiety and fear about, will this happen again? Is something going to happen to my, you know, if I have other children, is something going to happen to them? Um, I think sometimes we even struggle to be able to take care of if there are other children. Um, after that, you're, you're this numbness that takes over and this fear can be very um, debilitating. And so being able to care for other children or care for partners. And I think partners often struggle in this, whether um, we have heterosexual relationships or not. This partnership of, I, I, I almost feel like I lost you too. We lost this child, but then I feel like I lost um, you as a mom as well, because you're disconnected from me and I, I don't, I don't know what to do. So it's a, can be a double loss for partners, um, feeling like they have lost both the child and this person that they love and care about and are not sure really how to support, um, in this grieving process, which can be a very long process. Everyone's different in terms of how they grieve. And I think oftentimes people think, okay, well, you should be all right after a month or two. Um, and that's not how grief works. And so sometimes people are struggling with this grief long after they've experienced the loss and annually as birthdays um, come about or the anniversary of the of the death like these can be very difficult times for people um, I think the grief is more complicated when there is not a physical baby sometimes for people because uh, you don't you can't have a funeral um, I think sometimes people do still do a memorial um, to honor the loss but oftentimes with miscarriages people are are uh, uh, led to feel as if they can't do that. Well, there's not an actual baby, so what are you having this for? And so sometimes people don't feel comfortable being able to have some type of event, like a service, to be able to honor the loss of this child. Um, and so when I don't have a physical baby there, then people um, often don't know what to do. So what am I supposed to do with this grief now? Because I, I can't have this service. And so I don't, I don't have this sense of closure. So that can be really difficult for people. Um, I think we often just have a desire to gain control and we want to explain things. And so we sometimes feel the need to over explain what happened to people trying to gain a sense of understanding and meaning ourselves, which I think can be uh, sometimes destructive for people because you're just trying to why, why, why? I'm trying to figure out here. Well, maybe it was this, maybe it was this, maybe it was this. And you can become obsessed about it because you're just trying to, again, get some sense of understanding yourself. Um, I think sometimes that when when people were ambivalent about the pregnancy, so not sure I really want to have a baby right now, not sure this is a good time, and so maybe I'm in that phase, then I have this miscarriage, then what am I going to do? I'm going to think, well, it was because I was ambivalent, because I wasn't certain, because I had some doubts, because I had some concerns, so it's my fault um, that I lost this child, and that could be um, from the perspective of the of the mom or from the perspective of the partner as well um, with the ambivalence. Um, I think that oftentimes for men in this process, they are experiencing what we call mass depression. So they don't even really recognize that they're depressed. Um, so they're just kind of going along and they don't, they know they don't feel 100% like themselves, but they don't really know what's going on. And again, oftentimes that is overlooked because the focus is frequently on the mother and dads kind of get, um, sometimes forgotten in that. And so they may be less likely to actually get help and support for the depression that they're experiencing following a loss. Um, so, so how can we offer support? Um, so I wanna talk about um, the loss of a child, that support resources for that, and then also 
to reduce risk factors for women of color who are um, have increased rates of death during pregnancy. Uh, so mental health counseling for anyone that has experienced a loss, I think is very pivotal because sometimes we need to just kind of work through all of those things in a safe space and not have to worry about how it may be perceived by a partner or by family members. But I will say that um, mental health counseling may not necessarily be appropriate right after a loss. If uh, just emotions are, are all over the place, that could be overwhelming. And it may be difficult for a person to be in a cognitive space to do mental health counseling. So you may need to take some time to just grieve um, and experience that grief. And then, you know, maybe after a few months or so, attempt some mental health counseling once a person is in a space where they're able to just kind of communicate and think about things uh, when the grief is not as debilitating. Sometimes people do need medication following a loss um, because of the severe depression that can occur. And it can be in a traumatic experience for people. And sometimes medication can really help with managing those symptoms. Um, you wanna pick a provider when you do decide to uh, seek services who specializes in miscarriage or, or infancy death, um, because you wanna make sure that this person is well-versed in um, the experiences of loss over that spectrum, as well as can offer you resource, resources and support services outside of counseling. So there's a couple of websites and support groups I wanna share. There is a website, and if you just Google psychological and medical aspects of pregnancy loss, that has some resources that I think could be helpful. Again, psychological and medical aspects of pregnancy loss. Uh, there is a support group that I think is also encouraging, which is Rachel's Gift support group. Um, and if you just Google Rachel's gift support group, um, she has a lot of resources. Uh, and also because she has the capacity to do a Zoom support group, you don't necessarily have to be in person in Florida where she's located in order to participate in the group. So that's a, um, a mechanism as well, because I know it can be difficult to just have the energy and strength to leave when you're dealing with a loss. So being able to do a Zoom support group might be a good resource at this time. Um, for women who are pregnant and recognize the risk factors that uh, can be associated, particularly with women of color, uh, what I recommend is a preventative plan um, as well as an intervention plan. So first of all, let me check and make sure this hospital that uh, I will be utilizing, if I'm utilizing a hospital, um, has a maternal mortality review committee. So in other words, are you all investigating um, and putting resources in place to prevent women dying during pregnancy, All right, So I need to know what your plan is, what your research has been, what steps that you have in place ahead of time before I even decide to utilize you as a hospital. And this is something you can check in with your provider as well. Uh, you have absolutely the right to interview your obstetrician. You can take your list of questions, set up an appointment, and if your provider is not open to that, then that's not the provider for you. So you need to sit down with a person and, and in that discussion, let's talk about um, these risk factors, right? So we know that there are certain conditions that can occur that lead to death um, during pregnancy. And uh, these are hemorrhage is at the top of the list, cardiovascular and coronary conditions, infections, um, cardiomyopathy, embolism, preeclampsia is really, really a big one for black women, eclampsia, 
or mental health conditions. I think a lot of times people underscore the importance of recognizing a plan for mental health going into a pregnancy for things like depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, substance abuse, eating disorders, right? So we want to be preventative in that way. And even if I don't have any of those medical conditions or mental health conditions at risk factors, I still need to know what your plan is in the event I develop them. Because we know that there are things that can develop during the course of a pregnancy that I may not have experienced prior to a pregnancy. So again, prevention. So you go in like, hey, and, and you can talk to your medical provider about all of those things. They may say, do you have a history? No, I don't. Not sure if my family has a history, but I want to know what the plan is in the event these things happen. What are warning signs that I need to be on the lookout for? Because those are the things that get missed, right? We talked about earlier in the statistics piece, 60% or more of the deaths of women during pregnancy can be prevented if warning signs are caught. So I means I need to know what the warning signs is and are, and I need to know that you as my provider know what those warning signs are. And so we already developed a plan for that. So then we're not scrambling when something happens and you have to make a decision. We've already discussed what those decisions will be. And maybe you may determine as my provider that if I do become a high risk pregnancy, this is outside your scope of expertise. So we need to discuss that too. In the event you need to refer me to someone else who specializes in high risk pregnancies, who is that person going to be? I don't want to wait until I'm in that situation to figure that out. Like, let's talk about that ahead of time. And some people are like, well, I don't want to go in and do all of that. And I will tell you all that no one is going to invest in your health like you need to invest in your health. You are not being a bother. You are not being obnoxious. You are getting information to be preventative. And in the event that something happens, how we're going to intervene to save my life and to save the life of my child. And so you have absolute permission if you need it to be able to do that for yourself and your family. Okay, I think that's part of the challenge sometimes for women is we don't feel like we can express our voice. I'm hearing a lot of people saying, I don't wanna be a Karen. I don't want us to use that as an excuse to continue to be silenced because I think that has been a challenge for women ongoing anyway. Why we're not heard, why our concerns are not taken seriously when we bring them up because oftentimes we say them, but then we're like, well, if you say it's okay, then I don't listen to my gut. Ladies, listen to your gut. If something in you is telling you that something is not okay, when I tell you, you are an expert in you, listen to you. If something is, we all have that discernment, something that nagging, we, we don't even necessarily know what it is, but something tells us, eh, I don't feel right. Listen to you. And if a provider doesn't, then let's find another provider that does. Okay. Be safe. I want you all to recognize that loss is loss, whether it occurs um, before 20 weeks or after a child is born. And we need to respect people's experience with loss. You are still mothers, you're not invisible. And for my women who are pregnant currently, or are thinking about getting pregnant, or for your sisters, aunts, cousins, who else may be getting pregnant, please share this information and resources because we want you to be around to raise these beautiful babies, okay? Be encouraged.